I remember as a younger rep and as a younger manager, something would happen and I would let it consume my day or consume my week and just be so stressed out about it that it prevented me from doing the things that I should have been doing to bring myself out of that situation. I've just gone through so much at this point and it's always worked out that I've just realized there's very few times where the skies actually fall. And just kind of knowing that, knowing that it's just going to be a temporary storm. Now, temporary could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month, but eventually that storm is going to go away. And it's up to you how you want to come out of that storm. It's up to you how you want to come out of that journey. And really, that's your opportunity to grow and become better. Andrew Nickerson is a single father of two young girls including one with special needs that required 153 medical appointments in 2019. During that same year, Andrew was also a national champion sales manager in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization for the second year in a row. He has learned how to build his business by building others. More importantly, he has learned to navigate the storms of personal adversity while achieving great professional success. I know you'll be inspired and motivated by the story and insights of Andrew Nickerson. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Andrew Nickerson. Andrew is a champion manager in the Cutco Vector business uh, in the Phoenix, Arizona area. He's been in the business now for about nine years, having started in December of 2010. He started in the Tucson, Arizona area uh, with a manager named Jared Timmons. And Andrew advanced to run an office in the company a couple summers, summer of 2012, summer of 2013. He was in and out of the business for about a year and a half at that point before getting very serious about coming back. And we'll discuss a little bit about why that happened in this interview. But in December of 2014, Andrew got serious about being successful as a manager in the Cutco Vector business. And he has steadily grown his operation in Chandler, Arizona. And he has now won two consecutive silver cups, which are emblematic of being a national champion in one's competitive category in the United States and the entire Vector Cutco business throughout the U.S. So double Silver Cup winner, operates his office in Chandler, Arizona, East Valley District Manager, Mr. Andrew Nickerson. Thanks so much for making time for the podcast, Andrew. 
Yeah, you got it, Dan. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been a fan of the podcast. I uh, was very honored and humbled when you asked me to be a part of it. So I'm excited to share my story today. Excellent. Well, you have a, a, a great and interesting story that people can get a lot from. And, and I know there'll be a lot of people that really relate to some of the elements of your story. So I'm looking forward to being able to talk about it here today. Why don't you tell us first how you started with the company back in December of 2010? Yeah. So I was a senior in high school. It was, uh, it was coming up on you know, our finals for the, the fall semester. It was uh, early December when I got a, a phone call and was basically referred to the, the job through the traditional PR program. And it was interesting because the person that referred me was actually someone that I did not like and that he did not like me. We kind of butt heads all through high school. We were on opposing sports teams in middle school. It just was not a fan of the guy, but he actually ended up referring me to the job. And I was kind of looking to, to make some extra cash over the winter break. I had worked with uh, another company, my first job a couple months before I was a buster at a five-star retirement home. Worked there for about three weeks before I realized my grades were dropping and it was just taking too much time away from school. So was had just quit that a couple weeks before getting that phone call and uh, initially just kind of took the job with Vector just to work for a couple of weeks, make some extra cash, was fully intending on quitting two weeks into the job, and then just fell in love. And it's been a, a really awesome journey since then. So you're going to work just for winter break. But like many people, you realize the culture, the atmosphere, the people, the overall opportunity in Vector was so positive that you decided to stick around after that. Yep, absolutely. I was just enamored with the, with the culture and the people. Felt like it was something that I was really enjoying. I felt like I was learning things that actually were we're going to make a difference in my future and just felt like I was growing a ton. So decided to stick it out. But what, what do you think were some of the key lessons that came out of the early experience that you learned? I think the biggest thing was just really starting to figure out some talents that I didn't realize that I had. Before Vector, I was, I was always confident in my speaking. I felt like I was articulate, had a good vocabulary, but I was a little shy and a little awkward and didn't have a ton of confidence in front of people. In fact, I think six months before I started with the job, I was asked to give a quick little like 30-second blurb on stage at my church, and I, I almost fainted. I made it 10 seconds before I froze and ran off the stage embarrassed. It was terrible. <laughs> so this was something that really got me out of my comfort zone and almost didn't show to training just because I was terrified, but I really decided that it was going to benefit me. After just a couple of days of doing presentations, I had already felt a difference in my confidence and my ability to speak. And that was really motivating to me to realize that I was growing and, and learning at such a quick rate uh, in a way that I never had before. Yeah, that's interesting that so many parallels to when I started that you just shared right there. I didn't, you know, anybody that's listened to the podcast knows I, I didn't feel very confident as a in terms of my social skills, speaking, any of that stuff, confidence, I didn't have any of that when I went to my Vector interview. And as I saw what the job was in my interview, my initial sort of you know knee-jerk reaction was, oh, I, I can't do that. Um, but as I sat and thought about it at the end of the interview, as I waited for the district manager to meet with me and discuss the position, those thoughts turned into, oh, I need to do that. That's like, it's exactly what I need. 
in order to be able to come out of my comfort zone and grow my skills and become more confident and just, you know, shape myself into the kind of person I want to be for the future. So it's cool to hear that uh, you had some of those same thoughts as you were getting started. Yeah, very similar. I think that the Vector Cutco opportunity reveals a lot about people. That's a word I've used before to describe it. It reveals a lot about people. As you said, it, it helped you figure out some of your talents. It helped you see some of your strengths. It also reveals some of the weaknesses that we all have that we need to be able to improve because, you know, in working in Vector, you get paid based on performance. And so if your paychecks are low, well, that says something about your skills of influence or your communication or your work ethic or something or all of those things. So I think that there's a lot of great things that come out of it for a lot of people in the, in those early days that, uh, that you saw. Now, you have a very unorthodox path through the company. Tell us a little bit about uh, how your path unfolded. Yeah, absolutely. So my first year, I started in obviously December, finishing up my senior year of high school through my first uh, semester with the company. Going into the summer, wasn't really sure, you know, kind of where I wanted to go. I was just a rep. I ended up being not the number one new rep in my office through the spring. In the summer, just hadn't really figured out how to be consistent yet. So it was just still really learning and growing as a professional there. In the fall, got invited to be a part of the Leadership Academy with our division and go through some management training. And I remember Jared and Wes talking to me about running a branch office the next summer. So was really excited about the opportunity. There was someone that went to my high school that I knew that had ran a branch the summer before. And I kind of felt like if he could do it, it was something that I could do as well. So I decided to really commit and go after it. And I'm a very competitive person. So once I committed to that, I was determined to be number one in my in the division. So we had a, a pretty good summer that summer as a branch. Finished up that, went to school for a little bit. When I was in school, I really just started to learn and figure out that that wasn't really the path that I was really wanting to go in life. I think traditional education is great for a lot of people, but for myself and, and the goals that I had, it, it didn't really felt like it aligned. So ended up deciding that I wasn't going to finish out college and ended up deciding that I was going to open up another office with Vector the following summer. So Ended up going through the Leadership Academy program again, opened up another office the following summer, and that ended up being another summer office that next summer. So that was actually the end of that summer was kind of a tough spot for me. I still think I had a lot of growing up to do at that point. I was only 20 years old, wasn't the most responsible with my money. The business was great in the summer. And then at, kind of in the fall, hadn't really learned how to transition into the different times of the year yet. My organization wasn't doing as well as I wanted. I was uh, I was not in the personal growth regimen that I should have been and, and just kind of got in a spot where I, you know, kind of was not the person I needed to be to run a high level office. And that was really tough on me and uh, ended up kind of making the decision that I didn't want to be a manager and uh, ended up leaving the company for a couple of months. So that was a time in my life. It was the first time in, in the company where I wasn't performing at a level that was competing on a national scale or competing at least on a divisional scale. And that was a really frustrating thing for me. And I, I just didn't have the maturity to keep going at that point in my life. So I think that that break I had really allowed me to, to kind of have some perspective and grow up a little bit. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, Drew Frank, 
who who obviously works in your region, he said something in our podcast episode uh, along the lines of, you know, you you love what you're good at, and when you're not good at something, you you tend to naturally gravitate towards not enjoying it because that's you know obviously the results you're producing make you feel a certain way we can get sort of caught in that trap of talking ourselves out of something that we've been loving doing just because we experience a period of low results for a little while and it sounds like that's something that happened to you in that summer of 2013 is that uh you had some struggle you weren't competing as you said on a divisional or national level the way you had been previously and that's, uh, it's very easy to, to get into that thought process of, well, you know, gosh, I'm not having fun anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should do something else. And I think a lot of people go through that. I do think that there's time where somebody does have to move on from something because they don't like it. But I also think that we should be conscious of if we have enjoyed our experience at something and we're merely experiencing a period of struggle, not to get too faked out by what's going on during that period of struggle. So you were away for just a couple of months and then you decided to come back and, and your path kind of continued its twists and turns for a while, right? Yeah, it did. So I ended up coming back that summer. Uh, originally was going to be an assistant manager in our divisional pilot office uh, with Wes Frank. Ended up going a different route that summer as, an, as the sales manager for Dan Faraday, who was a Silver Cup winning district manager within our division. He had just moved from his office headquarters from El Paso over to Central Phoenix. So that was kind of a brand new office. And I saw an opportunity to um, learn from a new manager and learn some new skill sets. And Dan was one of the best developers of people in our division and really in the company at that time. And that had been a weakness of mine was assistant manager development and, and building a great staff. And Dan was great at it. So I learned a lot that summer from Dan, really learned how to how to get people tied into a vision and get them tied into their own goals long-term and really help and bridge the gap between their goals long-term and how Vector and their opportunity here could get them there. So learned a ton that summer, but I actually, the girl that I was dating at the time, we had found out in mid-March that she was pregnant. So that was a, a time in my life where it was one of those, you know, OSMs, right? One of those oh shit moments where <laughs> uh, I, I kind of needed to make a decision where where I was going to go and and get a little bit more serious about my life. And I I wanted to go. That's what kind of brought me back to Vector that summer. I I wanted to make money. It was an industry I knew that I I could make money in and be successful in. But really, as it came closer to the time where she was about to be born, I kind of made the emotional, impulsive decision to leave the company again, feeling like I need to go somewhere else where it'll be more stable and get like a real job or whatever those thoughts crept in my head. And I just kind of kind of went that direction and left the business a second time that fall. So that was September of, of 2014, where I walked away again, I actually ended up going and selling cars. Uh, so <laughs> somehow convinced myself that that was more of a real job than, than selling knives. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, left to sell cars. My, my best friend's dad growing up was a, was a GM with one of the, the top, car dealerships in Arizona and he had been trying to recruit me for a while so ended up going that route sold some cars had decent success right away was still kind of getting the hang of things about two and a half months into that process was one of the craziest yet most important events of my entire life so 
Uh, I'll spare some of the details, but basically ended up getting falsely arrested for a crime that I did not commit. So long story short, I was working a long shift at the dealership that day, had left my backpack in my car parked next to the, the dealership, uh, just at a little side business where I wasn't actually supposed to park, but I was running late that day and parked there and ran through the parking lot to get there on time and ended up that night selling a truck. I was really excited. I felt like I was finally getting the hang of everything and reached in my pocket at the end of the night to grab my keys and my keys weren't there. And uh, looked for about 30 minutes trying to find my keys all over the dealership in all the different cars that we had test drove that day. Anyway, ended up not being able to find the keys. The lot attendant offered me a ride home. So we took it and just said, we're going to look for the keys in the morning. So came back the next morning and uh, went straight up to my general manager and said, hey, did you find, uh, did you find any keys? And he, he was on the phone and he kind of gave me the, hey, one second. But uh, anyway, he was on the phone. So I went and started working with another customer, ended up selling another car. So now it was fired up. I'd sold two cars in less than 24 hours. And that was uh, the first time I had done that. I was feeling on top of the world. And then my manager uh, got off the phone, pulled me aside. He said, hey, there was some police officers here looking for you earlier. And I was in shock. I was like, no, like this is they're pranking the new guy. Like I finally sold two <laughs> cars. They're pulling a prank on me and there's no cops. And he's like, yeah, there was apparently there was a police chase earlier. There was a dropped bag and your name's like all over it. And they were here asking about you. Basically what had happened is there was a couple guys that had been breaking into cars the night before they broke into mine, took my backpack and then used my backpack as their go bag and started taking all of the stolen items and putting them in my backpack. They ended up, uh, Someone saw them break into cars, called the police. These guys took off on foot once the police got there and ditched my backpack under a car. And the police found the backpack, went through the contents. They found inside the backpack there was marijuana, there was meth, there was a pipe, there was a bunch of stolen stuff, and then my ID as well as a pay stub. And instead of really investigating it the right way, they just tried to threaten me. And, you know, and uh, I ended up because of not really knowing what to do, ended up, uh, you know, getting arrested uh, instead of just trying to answer questions. So anyway, it was an interesting time. I had four felony charges pending against me and I uh, was sitting in jail for 12 hours that day, freaking out. I remember sitting in the jail cell, just thinking to myself, well, it, it can't get worse from here. <laughs> and and then a week later, uh, my daughter was born nine weeks early, and that was when I decided to never challenge God again. <laughs> and and I've never said something like it can't get worse from here ever since then. But my daughter was born nine weeks early. She has a genetic disorder, and and uh, being a preemie is a big part of symptom of that. And uh, nine weeks early, she was three pounds two ounces, and mm. ended up being in the the infant ICU for five weeks, and so. Here I am with a preemie baby and four felony charges pending against me and just in a situation where it seems like everything was completely out of my control. And at that point, Wes, my division manager, had posted on Facebook that there was a new bonus for district managers called Pace Bonus. And there was a new program for company-funded BMWs. And it kind of just opened the door for me to reach out to Wes and, and say, hey, I, uh, I'm in a situation in my life where I need an opportunity to provide for my daughter. And 
grow myself and get myself in a spot where I'm living a life of abundance and not scarcity. And Cutco was an industry I, I knew. It was an industry that I felt like I really could succeed at if I just took it seriously. And that's really what brought me back. So. Wow. Amazing. So you experienced quite a bit of uh, these uh, OSMs here in uh, in a short amount of time. Shout out to uh, the book, The Radical Leap. If you have not read that, check it out. I can't even imagine going through what you just described, you know, like that uh, spending 12 hours in jail and then uh, one week later having your daughter born nine weeks early is a significant amount of personal adversity that you had to overcome in that time. And through this process, I also understand that you ended up, you know, really being a single dad to your daughter. Tell us about your experiences as a single father. Yeah. So, you know, I actually have two daughters. That was uh, that was the the story of the first one, Allison, and she's she's five years old now, and she actually has a younger sister that's eleven months younger. So they're eleven months apart. They're Irish twins. They're best friends, and it's amazing to watch their relationship, and it's been uh, it's been beautiful for sure. But yeah, just things didn't work out with their with their mom and I, and you know, really have been you know obviously blessed with the opportunity that Vectors provided to to give myself some stability and give them some stability. So they've been, you know, with me pretty much uh, most of the time. And it's been a challenge just kind of learning how to balance business and balance being a dad and, you know, really making sure that they're getting enough, you know, love and, and support and encouragement and, you know, getting all the, all the things that they need from me as a parent, while also making sure that, you know, we're pouring the right amount of time into the business and supporting our, our people. I always joke that sometimes it's actually easier to uh, parent my my kids sometimes than it is to parent some of my assistant managers and some of our newer reps. But just kind of learning the the balance has been been a process. So for me, it's a lot of it's just been really getting intentional with the schedule. Uh, figuring out what the non-negotiables are in in the office and in the business, and then figuring out what the non-negotiables are outside of the outside of the office. And you know, s- simple things like deciding that at a certain point every single night, my phone turns off and it goes away. And it's just being willing to part with you know any potential. Maybe we get a last minute order at like nine p.m. that I miss out on, or you know maybe we lose a little bit of sales. But overall, just making sure that I'm sticking to the non-negotiables, giving my family the time that they need, and, and giving you know, and when it's time to work, also making sure we're we're working. So Allison also has a disability. She has an extremely rare genetic disorder. It's called trichothiodystrophy. It's very rare. Only about a hundred people in the entire world have it. So we're actually meeting with doctors who know almost just as much as we know from a quick Google search about it. And sometimes uh, we'll meet with a doctor and they'll walk in and they'll verbatim say like the first couple sentences that show up on Google when you Google trichothiodystrophy. And you can kind of tell some of these doctors just Googled it before they walk in and meet with us. So that's been another wrinkle and layer. We This last year, we did 153 different doctor's appointments for Allison. Uh, between all the therapies, the physical therapy, the occupational therapies, and you know, just all the different specialists that we have to meet with, and it gives you a lot of perspective on just priorities and what's important. And it's funny because as those things have been having to do all of those doctors' appointments and 
a single dad, I'm actually probably spending less time in the office than I ever have. But we are actually producing at a higher level in the business than we ever have as well, which has been pretty special. So, How does that come together? I think when you're forced to be on top of your schedule and you, you have so much going on outside of the business, it forces you to really focus on the things that move the needle the most when you are uh, in the office. I think I used to confuse just being at the office with actually working. And now, because I have a lot less time, when I'm, when I'm going into the office, when I'm meeting with my team, when I'm talking to a central recruiter or, or running a training, it forces me to be on my A-game and really maximize that time and, and get the most out of it. So that's been an important one. And then another part of it is, you know, I was kind of forced in my situation. I was forced to get really good at developing a staff. And I was forced to get really good at getting people to lead in within the organization that they could make up for, you know, the time that I'm not able to be there. And that's been something that I've been blessed to learn that from Dan Faraday back that one summer and have really been working on making that a, a focus in our organization. It's really something that East Valley has become known for as having one of the best assistant manager teams and development pools in the company. And we're very proud of that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I, I think that there's a lot of people listening who are entrepreneurs, whether they are vector managers or in some other capacity. And if you have to be at your business all day, every day doing everything, then you don't really have a business. You have a job. And building a business means developing people in your business who can take many of the responsibilities off of your plate so that you can focus on, as you said, the biggest needle movers, right, that are going to continue growing the business. And in order to be able to have, you know, lots of good people, there's keys to development, there's keys to delegation that come into play. You talked about the idea of tying people into the vision, right, which I think is also a big key. Tell us about these things and, and just what you feel like are some of the keys to making that successful for anybody else. Yeah, so like I mentioned, having a clear vision for your organization is is really one of the biggest things. You have to know where your organization's headed. You have to have a clear plan that you're excited about and that you're committed to getting to. Because I think your people can kind of sense it. They can sense if you're actually excited about the future or if you're just kind of going through the motions. And if you're not really clear on where your office is going to be a year from now, it's it's really hard to get people to to help you get there. So that's been big, just having a clear vision for what we want. And here in East Valley, we want to build one of the biggest, baddest district teams in the history of the company. We want to continually be competing for national championships. We want to continually be competing at a high level as far as the numbers go, but also, you know, really be able to impact a ton of people throughout all of the district organizations that we promote and branch organizations. And that's something our people are really excited about. The other big part that was a really big learning for, curve for me was just trusting your people. As a newer manager, I had a really hard time allowing myself to delegate because I was so scared that someone was going to do something wrong or not do it as good as I could, which, you know, I don't think your people are ever going to quite be as good as, as you are, at least right away. But just kind of learning to let go of that and learning to just trust my people and just give them the opportunity to spread their wings and, and really take off. Your people can't really grow if they aren't given the opportunity. And so while it was really hard for me in the past to really delegate, it's, it's really become something that I sometimes tend to over-delegate. But 
you know, really just giving people the opportunity to, to spread their wings, grow into that role. They might drop the ball a few times. There might be a little bit less efficiency than there would have been if I had done it. But like you had talked about, it allows you to spend your time doing the things that move the needle when you have three or four or five other assistants or people that are leaders within your organization that can kind of handle some of the other stuff. It's a net gain every time. It's a net gain overall as far as your results in the in the business. You might lose some in one area, but you're always going to be able to accomplish more when you have a bunch of people in your organization that are that are leading and moving the business forward. So those are the two biggest things is clear vision and trust your people. Yeah, that was really good. And the thing you said about used to have a hard time worrying, you know, is somebody gonna do something wrong? Are they gonna, you know, mess something up? And I've just got some advice for anybody listening and pondering that question as you're building your organization and delegating to people. And the answer is they will do things wrong. They will mess things up. And that is a part of how people develop and learn. In fact, it's one of the only ways people can develop and learn is that, you know, when you have something where you make a mistake and you, you register the impact of that mistake, that's where the true internalization of the concept comes to you. You really realize it in those moments. And so I think it is a part of the process, right? And sort of managing mistakes, managing the things that go wrong is part of what the leader is doing. But we give our people a chance to rise to the occasion. And for the most part, they will. And when they do make errors, that's a part of them learning that, you know, next time, how to do that same thing better. So I just think that's a key concept. If you're going to pay people to be in your organization and help you, then let them do their job and let them do what you're asking them to do, even if it means making some errors. So it's powerful that you've learned that and been able to develop a, you know, really a cadre of individuals around you that are assisting you as you're building your, your successful organization. So as you, Andrew, experience all of the success you've had the last couple of years, it has been while navigating this challenge with particularly your oldest daughter. I mean, 153 medical appointments over the course of one year, that, that is incredible to experience. And, uh, and I know that the road has not been easy for you. Could you speak a little bit to how you've continued succeeding, getting better and better in your business, you know, while navigating personal adversity and how other people can manage to balance those things happening in their lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is just realizing that there's very few times in life where the sky is actually falling. I remember as a younger rep and as a younger manager, something would happen and I would let it consume my day or consume my week and just be so stressed out about it that it prevented me from doing the things that I should have been doing to bring myself out of that situation. And I think, I don't know if I just kind of learned this just because all this craziness just kept happening, but I kind of almost developed a, an immunity to like just feeling overwhelmed just because it's so much has happened that I've just gone through so much at this point and it's always worked out that I've just realized there's very few times where the sky's actually fallen. And just kind of knowing that, knowing that it's just going to be a temporary storm. Now, temporary could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month, but eventually that storm is going to go away. And it's up to you how you want to come out of that storm. It's up to you how you want to come out of that journey. And really, that's your opportunity to grow and become better. The other thing is just, just show up, you know, just showing up every single day. 
I always tell my guys that a lot of times half the battle is just showing up. And there's some days where you're excited to show up and you're driven, you've got goals and you're, it's easy to show up and it's easy to show up the right way. And there's other days where you have to manufacture that excitement and you have to just kind of fake it until you make it, but you just have to show up. You have to keep moving forward and you have to just keep focused on, on what you're, what you're moving towards. So there's no magic pill. There's no secret formula to navigating personal adversity. A lot of times it's just show up and keep moving forward. I really like what you said about manufacturing excitement because it does require that from time to time. And I was taught many years ago the importance of compartmentalizing different parts of your life. And so, in other words, if you're experiencing a you know challenge at home, you don't want to be thinking about that challenge all day long when you're at the office working with your people. If you have some kind of financial pressure in your life, you don't want that to affect your personal time with your significant other You know, every moment. You want to deal with things when you have to deal with them. And that's important. But then you need to be able to put them in a compartment, put them in a box, put them on a shelf, go do something else and focus, bring your best energy to that something else. So that's just a great insight. And I think people can learn a lot from that is just compartmentalizing their challenges. So good stuff, Andrew. I've enjoyed being able to hear some of your insights and your story. As we finish this up, Andrew, I just want to ask you, as you look ahead into your future, uh, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Absolutely. I, one of the things I tell people in every training that I run is I did not move from Tucson to Chandler just to start a, a vector office. I came here to start a movement, you know, really a movement of young professionals that really we give the opportunity to, you know, grow themselves every day. And when face adversity and obstacles with a, with a smile and see obstacles and challenges as opportunities for growth. And we really want to impact people personally, professionally, and financially. And I know some of that stuff is stuff that I've stolen from some of the vector grades as far as personal, professional, and financial growth. But that's really, we stick to that theme in our organization, really challenging people to grow. And I believe that whether someone walks into my organization, whether they're here for two days or two weeks or two months or two years or beyond, I want every single person to grow themselves personally, professionally, financially during that time. I want to be able to create offices and promote people who can paint that same vision and impact people on a broader scale. I believe that you know we have an incredible gift in what we do as district managers, and we have an incredible product that we're able to give people, which is an opportunity that doesn't exist in a lot of other parts of life as a college student or as a young professional. And I, I've learned not to take that for granted and really just give give my best to people and turn allow them to really give their best in life. So that's what I, I've done over the last couple of years. That's what I'm going to continue to do as long as God gives me the opportunity to speak and inspire and encourage and motivate. I'm going to do what I can with that. Outstanding. I just want to echo what you said about the fact that we have an incredible gift as leaders here in Cutco Vector. And really, that's true for anybody who's a leader in whatever it is that you do who's influencing people and developing people. You do have an incredible gift. You referenced earlier something like, uh, you know, you thought maybe selling cars might be cooler than selling knives. And the reality is, as a vector manager, Andrew, you don't sell knives. I don't sell knives. Uh, anytime somebody asks me, how's the knife business? I always have like a double take, like, oh yeah, that's ultimately that's, you know, what our end result is. But as a manager and vector, Andrew, you sell dreams 
you sell goals, you sell vision, you sell growth, you sell opportunity. That's what you sell. And you've done a great job of selling and promoting those things to your people in your organization. And it's evident in your results as a double silver cup champion in the company. It's amazing to hear how you've come through this, you know, while navigating such, uh, you know, incredible personal challenges. Uh, and it's great to see how, you know, how well you've done in developing an amazing team. So congratulations to you. Kudos to you for all the things you've done. And thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Dan. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I've been very honored to share my story today. All right. Awesome. Thanks. That was Andrew Nickerson. I hope you all enjoyed that. It was pretty interesting to hear Andrew share the sort of twin personal adversities that came down for him all at once where you know he was arrested for a crime he didn't even commit because his backpack had been stolen with his id in it and was present at scenes of crimes and then his daughter being born nine weeks early one week after this and how he had to deal with a you know premature daughter that uh was presumably in the nicu for a long time and he similarly had to deal with this legal battle for a little while. And he said, there are very few times when the sky is actually falling. Try to think about how you would respond given those two personal challenges that Andrew described. And the reality is that, you know, most of us would, whatever challenges we have in our life, you know, we would probably keep ours versus experiencing what Andrew did. And yet he says, very few times when the sky is actually falling, like you can overcome whatever it is that is there for you to overcome by working through it on a day-to-day basis. He talked about getting intentional with his schedule, right? Really intentional with his schedule is something I think everybody can think about. What am I doing that's truly adding value in my life? What am I doing that supports my dreams and my goals? What am I doing that's a time waster, right? Who am I spending time with that's moving me forward versus who am I spending time with that might be pulling me back? And Andrew also talked about the difference between being at the office versus actually working when you're at the office. And this is a great thing for a lot of young entrepreneurs to consider, right? Is what are you doing when you're at your office, right? And are you actually working on things that are moving the needle? The way Andrew has developed such a big team through being clear on the vision, trusting his people, thought that was very valuable as well. I also liked at the outset where Andrew said that this job helped him figure out his talents, his weaknesses helped reveal who he is as an individual. I read something on LinkedIn from a connection I have named Benjamin Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, who I would recommend highly as a follow. And Benjamin Hardy wrote, the problem with most people's lives is that they are being shielded from the consequences of their behavior. There's little to no accountability. The fastest way to make success inevitable in your life is to only do work that is incentive-based. Only do that which you are rewarded and punished for the quality of your work. Everything you do needs to matter to the outcomes, consequences, and results you get in life. If you want to make dramatic strides forward, you must only work in environments where the consequences of your actions are immediate and real. You need to be demanded by your situation to come up with a result. I love that. 
super powerful. There's a little more to it than that. It's on my LinkedIn as well. I shared it. If you go to my LinkedIn page, you will find that. Andrew put himself in a position where he was going to be rewarded or punished for the quality of his work. And his work was good for the most part. He had some period of struggle. And now his results are outstanding and he is being well rewarded for the quality of his work. It has helped him to develop his skills, his talents, his abilities, his gifts in order to be able to succeed at a high level. And he's done it through challenging times, much more challenging than most people experience. And as a single father of two young daughters, he has been able to build a great business and succeed at a high level. So I hope you enjoyed that story and the insights that came out of it. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.